Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. If you're like me, you probably know someone in the Bay Area living paycheck to paycheck. And maybe that person is you. And you probably know that when you're in that situation, it just takes one missed paycheck, one crisis, or perhaps one global health emergency for everything to go sideways. Workers are in an extremely precarious position on a good day. But then you layer on top of that an enormous public health crisis, and it's just a recipe for disaster. We're just beginning to see the economic effects of the coronavirus pandemic. People are getting laid off, and California is seeing a huge spike in unemployment claims. And for so many people in the Bay Area, COVID-19 is showing just how fragile our economy has been for working class people. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Welcome to the Bay. Elsie Villacorda is 27 years old. She lives in West Oakland, and she used to work in San Francisco as a bartender and a caterer. Sam Harnett is Silicon Valley reporter for KQED. Her apartment is 1800 bucks a month. She has $2,000 in her savings total, her and her boyfriend together, and she has no health insurance. Elsie had been dealing with debt for quite a long time. Uh, She graduated from UC Berkeley in 2016. She wanted to be an environmental policy analyst, and she spent a lot of time trying to get into that career, and she racked up 18 grand in credit card debt. My dream had been to work for the EPA as an environmental analyst and just rack up a bunch of white papers and be like, this is what she'll be doing, this is what she'll be doing, this is what she'll be doing. She was working as a bartender and as a caterer to make money to pay that debt down. And she had gotten it down a couple thousand dollars, but it was still hanging over her. When did Elsie realize that the coronavirus would impact her economically? Sure. So Elsie was pretty savvy. I mean, she's a really aware person. She pays attention to the news. Back when this was happening in China, she was worried. She saw the kind of writing on the wall. And then when Italy had uh, its influx of cases, she got really nervous. And she was telling people at work, like, listen, you guys got to get a plan. Like, you got to start saving up money. You should probably buy some food. And people at work were like, eh, come on, it's going to be kind of bad, but it won't be that bad. She said she sort of felt like she was the only one sounding the alarm bells. So by mid last week, that's when it hit her of like, I shouldn't even come into work. And already the number of people coming in to the bars were were going down. And she's like, this isn't even worth me risking getting sick because I don't have health insurance. My boyfriend and I just need to buy food and we need to hunker down. And that was like, you know, a week before the, the shelter in place order came through. And um, she says when it really hit her coworkers, she was at work one day. And when the news came through that the NBA was shutting down 
and the news came through that Tom Hanks was sick, that's when people around her started to take this seriously, like the other workers, and they were finally starting to listen to her. And then, of course, Governor Gavin Newsom ordered bars to close in California. We need to meet this moment head on and lean in, not isolate ourselves to this moment, but lean in uh, and own this moment and take uh, actions that we think are commensurate uh, with the need to protect the most vulnerable Californians. In Elsie's case, bars have been deemed a non-essential business. I'm curious if she has been laid off like a lot of people have at this point. I mean, like I said, Elsie was a little ahead of the curve. She'd already decided that she was done working for a couple of weeks and that we need to see what had happened and that she wasn't going to work anymore until, uh, you know, the crisis had abated a bit. So she had already like bought a bunch of food and decided to hunker down. Um, now, with the bar closed for sure, that the economic reality that she'd accepted, a bunch of the other her other work co-workers are now having to accept, which is that there's not going to be any income for the foreseeable future. And I feel like a lot of workers who are kind of making that decision, should I put myself at risk by exposing myself to more people via my job or do I just not pay rent and not get paid? Right. I mean, I am talking to a barista uh, in the Bay Area who she says her bosses are telling her that the coffee shop is an essential business and has to stay open and that she should come in because they're providing uh, food and beverages. And this barista is like, I don't think this is an essential business and I don't think it's safe for me to come into work. So she's having to struggle with the, with this decision. Does she disobey her bosses? Does she risk, uh, you know, getting fired and maybe not rehired when the place does open back up? Or does she do what she, the bosses want her to do and put herself at risk of getting sick? Sam had similar conversations with lots of workers in the Bay Area, people who've lost their only source of income because of the new coronavirus or people who are working sick because they have to pay their bills. But this story of workers barely getting by has been going on for a while. So Kristen Harknett from UCSF and Danny Schneider from UC Berkeley did this really interesting study. They surveyed 100,000 workers, uh, mostly in the service and retail industry, and they were most concerned about uh, this issue of working while sick, right? And in that study, they found that 60% of all workers report going to work sick. They feel like they have to. Um, sometimes it's because they don't have paid sick leave. Other times it's because they have paid sick leave, but they need a doctor's note to use it. And so effectively, even though it's an official stated policy that they have paid leave, it's not something you can access if you don't have health insurance or if you can't find a time or you can't schedule a time to get to the doctor. And they also found out that over half of these workers did not have enough resources to overcome a $400 bump in the road. And when I talked to Kristen, she brought up this point that there's been a shift of risk from corporations to individuals. And she said, if you go back to the 70s, far more people were employed instead of contractors. Far more people had employee protections like workers' comp, uh, guaranteed minimum wage, overtime. People had far more pensions back then than they do today for retirement. And then over the last 50 years, you've just seen all of those protections and benefits chipped away. And I think if you look at like an Uber or Lyft driver, they're the, the pinnacle of this example, which is basically Uber and Lyft say, hey, you know what, that driver, they're totally independent. 
Um, whether they make money or lose money is on them. Their insurance is on them. Their health care is on them. Uh, they don't get unemployment because they're their own uh, individual contractor. It's basically all the risk has been shifted onto that driver. But Uber and Lyft drivers are not uh, unique. They're just an example of how far we've gotten away from employee protections and benefits that used to exist pretty uh, consistently uh, back in the 70s. It gets to this bigger point of, I mean, shifting the risk is obviously beneficial to the company in the short term, because if they have less risk, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, if they have less risk, they're going to make more money, essentially. Uh, and they're shifting that risk back to the workers. I think there is a version of this story that we could have done even before COVID-19, like a story about how so many people are just barely scraping by and how work has become more precarious over time. But how is this story different because of the coronavirus? Absolutely. When I talked to Kristen, she was like, we were doing this project and it was already looking kind of bleak. And now the coronavirus hit and it's it's a nightmare. One thing that, again, I, uh, in her study, 60% of workers that she surveyed were going to work sick. I mean, not only is it really bad for them to be working while sick, but they're also spreading the disease, which is not what you want when you're having a pandemic. Job conditions in the service sector spill over and affect all of us. If workers are going to work sick, then we cannot contain an epidemic. You know, it couldn't be more stark and more clear right now. Even in the Bay Area where we're sheltering in place, there are so many workers right now who are out on the front lines. You know, they're at the grocery store, they're in delivery trucks, they're working in warehouses, and they're working in pharmacies. A lot of these workers lack the protections we're talking about. Most of them don't have 14 uh, paid sick days, if they have any. Uh, most of them are making pretty low wages. Lots of them are ca characterized as contractors as opposed to employees, so they don't have uh, employee protections like, un uh, like uh, unemployment insurance. And these workers are still out there, and they're exposing themselves to the disease. I mean, they're on the front lines right there, right now, and they still don't have these protections. There are lots of different measures that local governments are taking, measures that won't solve the whole problem, but could help. Some school districts, for example, are trying to maintain or expand their free meal programs. On the federal level, President Trump signed a bill that includes two weeks of paid sick leave. But there are a lot of asterisks in that new law. For one, it doesn't apply to companies with more than 500 people, which amounts to nearly half of American workers. And even if local, state, and federal governments do end up providing the resources that workers need to get through the coronavirus, it doesn't change the fact that life before this crisis was already tough for so many people, including the person we met at the beginning, Elsie Villacorta. Elsie has a clear vision of what she needs and what should be done. I mean, she's very sharp on, on what she believes our government should be doing for workers. I think she's really skeptical. You know, she's 27 years old. Uh, she went to UC Berkeley and then racked up all this credit card debt. And she was saying something to me that, yeah, I don't know, it really touched me. She was talking about her mom, who's, uh, you know, came from Mexico and worked in a factory. She was like, you have a college degree from Cal, you know, and that's a huge point of pride for her. So she was like, I don't understand how you can have a college degree and not have a well-paying job. And Elsie says she's had to tell her mom, like, well, that's just not how it really works here. Like it, it, it's really, really hard to make it. It's really, really hard to get by. And I think that sort of encapsulates, you know, 
the kind of mess that we've gotten into. It's kind of sad because the idea that you go to college, then you're economically secure, and then you could get a good job is kind of like the American dream, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that hearing her talk about telling this to her mom, a lot of workers have come to that realization. I think that's why there's a lot of frustration in this country, you know, that, that these people who've worked really hard and find themselves, you know, stuck with a bunch of credit card debt or debt from medical bills or debt from college and and aren't doing, you know, aren't doing something that they want to do, but also something that could be beneficial for society. I mean, Elsie's like, shouldn't I be working in environmental policy? Wouldn't that be a great thing for, for, for our country and for the world? So Governor Newsom did ask local municipalities to issue moratoriums and evictions, and people can apply for unemployment benefits. Do you know how any of this might help any of the workers that you talked with? So the eviction front is huge. Uh, and right now, uh, municipality by municipality can decide to have a moratorium on evictions or not. This is something that every single worker I talk to needs. They need to know that if they can't pay rent or if they can't pay their mortgage, they're not going to lose their home. When you don't have that safety net, this is what happens. People are have to decide between eating or paying rent or paying their debts or, you know, buying medicine. Unemployment benefits is something that a lot of workers need. But you have to remember, because we have moved more and more workers from employment status to independent contractor status, it's a lot harder for workers to get unemployment benefits. Even if they do get unemployment benefits, it's not enough money to sustain these workers. And another another point on unemployment is uh, I just got off the phone with a representative from the agency that gives unemployment. And at a best, you will start getting unemployment checks in a couple weeks. These workers need the money now. I'm wondering then how do we know if our state and local governments are doing a good job at protecting workers like Elsie at this during times like these? I mean, I think it is complicated because you're trying to between it's like what is up to the federal government versus the state government, you know, and and it is very complicated who has what power. Um, I think this crisis has made clear is that we need something out of the out of the ordinary and that workers are going to need some kind of solution that's different than a lot of things that have been implemented in the past. Um, and, And the workers that I talk to, the idea that most makes sense to them and it seems like they're going to satisfy their needs most immediately first they want guaranteed health care second they want a reprieve from all their their debts and burdens right now so things like student loans and car debt and credit card debt uh and then again uh, mortgages and rent that they might not be able to make they want a reprieve from some of that and they want income so they can buy food when i talk to workers those are the three things health security relief from debt and income to buy essential goods right now, basically food. On Thursday afternoon, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell proposed a bill that would include checks of up to $1,200 to people making $75,000 or less a year. It also cuts corporate taxes and provides loans to big and small businesses. Democrats have their own plan that has more paid leave benefits, and negotiations in the Senate start this morning on Friday. Sam Harnett is Silicon Valley reporter for KQED. The Bay is produced by Marisol Medina-Cadena and Alan Montecilio. 
KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. The Bay is a production of KQED, usually in San Francisco, but for now, from our respective homes. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. That's it for The Bay. Have a restful weekend. We'll talk to y'all on Monday. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.